what I'm talking about today and what, what uh, sometimes it's good to just sit and say why. In business, actually, in consulting, you have a, there's an exercise called the, se- the five whys. And you just go, why, why, why? You take a statement, you go, why? And you list down all the reasons you can give. It's called drilling down. And there's an element of what's the purpose of Jesus and what's the purpose of him going to the cross and what's the purpose of him rising again. And in, in many ways, our traditional sort of focus has been the purpose of Jesus is that we can go to heaven and we can be forgiven for our sin. And our sin is what separates from God. Our sin is when we place ourselves in the middle, S-I-N, I in the middle, and I start saying the world all revolves around me and the world revolves around me to meet my needs and that is the priority of my life and I am the most important person and I am at the center. And then eventually maybe I discover that me being at the center isn't the most fulfilling thing and there's something empty in me and I say there's got to be more to life than just me in the center. And I come to the place of saying maybe there's a God and I begin to explore that and maybe I go to a house group and I find out that there is a God and his name is Jesus and he loves me and I go, whoa, I never knew that but I always felt something. And I come into contact with him and it begins a process of something rising up in me that feels fulfilled, that feels found, that feels forgiven, that begins to feel hope rising and I can't put words in it because it's God's spirit beginning to nurture something that's planted deep inside me. So why is the purpose of Jesus? The purpose of Jesus is that when he rose from the dead, he poured out his spirit, which is like activating every visa card. It's something that's in our DNA that's dormant because it's been separated. Dormant DNA. And, and when we say yes to Jesus, it's like releasing the activation that begins to start saying, you're actually created to be people with a life-quickening spirit, which is what Jesus was described as. The second Adam was a life-quickening spirit. And that life-quickening spirit is as revolutionary to human beings as gas is to an automobile. Always remember somebody describing the Holy Spirit as saying there was a guy and he, was, he, he, he had this beautiful new car and he used to go around saying, I've got this beautiful new car. It's wonderful. You should come and have a look at it and it's shining and it's all. And he's got these specially made gloves that he puts under the back bumper and he, kept, and he said, I'm going to push it. And he says, I, I, it's just so wonderful to have it. And I didn't really take it anywhere. Sometimes I push it up and down the drive. And somebody comes to him one day and says, did you know that you could actually drive this thing? And, and he basically didn't know that. It was, it was my effort that was going to push it. And he said, no, you actually can put something inside it that will give it power and then you can drive it. And so that's what happened. And many, many of our lives, that's a stupid or a silly illustration, but many of our lives are like that. We're pushing so hard. We try so hard. We thank Jesus for salvation. That's what they call it, salvation. Thank you that you love me. But we're still pushing our lives around. And there's no power and there's no joy and there's no life and there's no transformation. It's just power and uh, behavioral disciplines and practicing being good or not being caught. And so the, the, the sense of hunger for Christian growth isn't strong because it feels like, as I used to feel, if I get any closer to God, he's going to spoil the rest of my life until you realize well, the rest of my life isn't that great anyway. But with God, he's much nicer, he's much kinder, he's much... Uh, it's much more understanding. He gets me. And so it's about learning how to find out who God really is. And that's part of that bicycle story is our paradigms, the way that we think about God are so deeply entrenched in us to the negative. And what's the saddest thing in the world is that we actually, well, I tried that. And you go, how many times have you tried? Once. Well, I bumped into somebody and they were a bad expression, so therefore I don't do it anymore. And you go, Everything worthwhile, everything that God wants to do in us, we also have to unlearn some things and it takes some time and practice. And that's why being part of something where you can practice, many of us have given up way too early. 
One of the big things we have to learn how to unwire is our pride. We're very opinionated and we're very proud and we're very stubborn and we really like being God, which means in charge of our lives, even when it's messed up. And so we have to ride that bicycle and, little, and learn how to maybe go another way. You would never ride that bicycle if you didn't see somebody else doing it. It would be a little bit more meaningful than just conquering the bicycle. It would be talking about a life that is transformed. How can I do that? Does it make sense? So one of the, 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 the most wonderful things to do is really to just say, I am empty and help. And so I was doing this series on looking at uh, the, the, the armor of God, which Paul, and you know, if you've been here all those times, then you're going to know exactly what I'm going to say, which is good, because then maybe you've listened to it, which is Paul standing in, you know, in, this, in this very, very ugly, I would think, and smelly dungeon with, a, with Roman guards chained to them, and uh, he l- uses them as an illustration. And he's illustrating it by the fact that he's even talking about it. Because he's actually saying in this miserable place where I'm chained, I have no hope of actually being free. I'm, my, my future is I'm going to be killed. My future is that if it's not tomorrow or two days, my future is death. And Paul writes his letters. The greatest letters in the New Testament are written when Paul has very little hope and very little affirmation for what he's done. And he has this enormous, I think we'll springboard off this next week and the weeks come to talk about joy and to talk about the life that he talks about. But he just demonstrates how on earth do you stand in this place with no hope in terms of your life and you're chained to Roman God and yet you actually demonstrate life and hope because it's what's within him. And so somebody might say, Paul, what is your secret? And he says, well, my secret is that I actually rely and press into Jesus and he presses into me and things begin to change. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like, look at this Roman soldier here. You see he's wearing armor. Well, it's kind of like that, except my armor is from the inside out, so you can't really see it. And so he says, you know, the the belt, what's the belt? The belt of truth. We spent many years trying to say, if I can get the truth, then I will know how to do things. Truth is not knowledge. The belt of truth is relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't say, this is the truth. He said, I am the truth. And that's why many people can quote the scriptures. They can quote all kinds of things, but they don't actually know it, which is what he said up there, didn't he? He said, knowing something is not understanding. Understanding is when you know it inside, and it brings about change. And so truth, Paul would say, was truth was my relationship with Jesus. I was so way off on left field, and he met me. He could have killed me. In fact, I thought he was on the Damascus Road. But he picked me up, and he said, uh, let's do this again. And I was so stubborn, I had to be blind for three days Because if it had only been 10 seconds, I probably would have got up and carried on doing what I was doing. But God loved me so much that he actually allowed me to suffer in one sense so that I would lose confidence in myself and find confidence in him. So that belt of truth is is the core of my being. He is the truth. He loves me. He has purpose for me. And he is always with me. And then I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what's that? It sounds so religious. And he says, no, it just means I'm made right with God. Because of Jesus, what he did on the cross, my sin, my killing of Christians has been forgiven. I have a new chance to new, live a new life as I was, I was created to live. Because all of our lives were stolen. The lives that God intended were stolen. And we grew up riding that bicycle the wrong way. We didn't even know it was the wrong way. We'd never seen it ridden the right way. And so Paul would say, I have this righteousness, not of my own, because I can't deserve it. How many of us are still trying to be good? How are you trying to be worthy? You're trying to be Christian. You're trying to be act in a way so that God will accept you. He's already accepted you. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So I come to him and say, I can't do this. Can you? And he says, of course I can. That's why my son went to the cross. There's mystery in it, but there's power in it. 
And so you put on the righteousness of God, which says, He has made me righteous, which means I am acceptable to Him. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation is about the thinking, how we think, how we start learning how to think in a different way. And that's also that bicycle again. All of these things apply to the bicycle, and the bicycle applies to this in terms of we have thought patterns that are just lies. But if nobody ever tells us and nobody ever shows us and we never hear a truth, that will be the way we live. I am no good. There's no hope for me. I've screwed up my life. I'm too old. We saw, you know, those of us who went to the Backlands in Qualicum this week, that's their whole ministry, helping people to unlock their minds and their thinking so that they don't just go down this negativity all the time, which is what is intuitive for all of us. That the real world is miserable, but actually we're called to be in the supernatural world, which is victory. And it's just not rah, rah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's actually demonstrated like Saul, like Paul, in the dungeon, in, in real life. It's demonstrated. And he said, put on the boots of peace, which was, which was that whole sense of standing in the confidence that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. I'm not going to spend the whole thing on reminding us, but all of these things were important. The shield of faith was rooted in this. The shield of faith that actually you put up. Because of these other pieces, the faith becomes effective. You can't actually pick up the shield of faith when you're not, earning, you're not wearing the shield or you're not wearing the boots, you're not wearing the belt. But if you just pick up the faith without any substance, you're just whistling in the dark. There's a lot of people do that. How big is my faith? My faith, I really believing. Stand up all who believe. And you go, Why, what are you believing? Because what you're believing determines what happens. And so what we're learning is that this whole armor of God is it's totally integ- integrated. You don't actually put it on, you grow in it as you declare these truths around yourself and around your life, God begins to shield you. And then we also learned that, that the, the, the whole Roman mentality of fighting was that that armor was totally dependent on somebody occupying it. You've got to live in it. But also dependent upon somebody being next to you and behind you to make it complete. Because we in the West are so vulnerable because we're independent. We strut around. You can have the best armor in the world. We do designer classes on who's got, a, who's got the coolest looking Christian armor. But it's all ineffective because we're walking solo and we haven't got anybody next to us to protect us or to take our back because we're so proud and we need each other. That's why these groups are important. You need other people around you. You could tell the person next to you that. I'm learning this technique, you know. Tell the person next to you. But I mean, it's true. Every single person here, you need more than you know other people around you. You need it for your growth, for your friendship, for everything in your life. And so out of all of that, Paul then says, and then, you know, take the sword, which is a short sword for thrusting into people uh, and piercing them. It's a a hand-to-hand combat sword, and that was the word, and God's word. But it wasn't just the written word, it's the spoken word based out of this word. The word became flesh. And again, we can hold this Bible, and you can study the Bible, but if the Bible doesn't actually get into you and your word begins to speak out, this won't mean anything. Does that make sense to you? In other words... The Bible says, Jesus says, uh, he loves me. Well, if I go to somebody and says, this is the scripture, Jesus loves you, it's not as effective as my saying, let me tell you how I experienced the love of God. This is where you find the, the foundation and the description. This is where you find the expression. People will respond to the word of God as it's interpreted through our lives. And if you don't have an interpretation through your life, then you haven't got the scripture. If you just hand people pieces of Bible, you're copping out and you become irritating. And you become just a pain, so they don't want to be around you. And you say, well, I'm being persecuted. You're not. They're just wise. Who would want to be around you? You're a pain. All you do is quote theory and judge. Tell them a story. And you can even say, you know, I'm still struggling with this, but I'm pressing into it. I'm practicing on my bicycle. 
I'm learning this thing called faith right now. In this area, I'm struggling with it. I'm learning patience right now. It doesn't come naturally to me. So I'm learning what does it mean to wait on God. Does that make sense? But all of that, Paul was saying in the end, was inadequate without the gas, without the power, without the supernatural breath of God that actually takes all these things and ignites them in a way that becomes transcendent. And so in Ephesians at the end, he says, uh, what does he say? I'll have to find it now. Do you know the order of the books in the Bible? I still don't. Never something I thought was worth it. Well, that's why they have an index. Um, at the end of this, he says, uh, and, I, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will be fearless. I will, I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Twice he says fearless because I guess he was intimidated at times. At times it wasn't so easy. But pray in the Spirit on all occasions. What does that mean? It means talking to God. It means sharing your life with Him and saying, what is, how do I do this? All kinds of prayers and requests, which is God saying, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're doing. And that should take about three minutes. And the rest is, how do we live from that place of His Spirit speaking back to us? See, it's interesting because the praying in the Spirit is also meaning using the language of the kingdom of heaven. This is the controversial bit, which is called speaking in tongues. And you have people leaving churches. I, they, they talk about speaking in tongues. As I, I, I will not go there. Well, speaking in tongues is just the language. Um, when, you came, when you go to Italy, what do you speak? Smart. When you go to Spain, Canada, or French, Canadianese, whenever you go to a country, you speak the language of the country. What do you think the language of the kingdom of heaven is? It's not English. What happens if, if, you were, if, so if you were a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what language do you speak? You'd speak... It's, it's, the tone is love, but the language, I think, is tongues. Now, what does that mean? It just means that everything that God releases from heaven to earth is supernatural. So if it has to go through your brain, which has been wired like that backward bike to go, to go in this way, the counterintuitive of not understanding what I'm saying doesn't seem right to me. So I say, that's rubbish. It's gobbledygook. It's crazy. And that's my story too. I was terrified of this gift of tongues because I felt so shy and inadequate. And I've told you the story. In a hippie market in Cape Town in the 70s, some guy said, why don't you speak in tongues? And I said, well, uh, if God wants me to have it, he can give it to me. He was a hippie. His life had been totally transformed. He was a surfer. He had opened up this... They had a huge, this was the Jesus people in the early 70s. Huge impact on, on, the, on the city. So, and he wasn't used to taking no for an answer. And so in this hippie market, smelling of leather and incense, he's going, so, so you know, why wouldn't you speak in tongues? Well, if God wants to... So he says, that's interesting. And I'm terrified. Get me out of here. Serious, totally serious. And he said, uh, when, when, you, when you received Jesus into your life, did he just give it to you or did you ask for it? No, I asked. So he said, well, it's the same for everything. You have to ask. I didn't have any more excuses. So he said, well, let me pray for you. So we go into his little office, which is behind a Hessian curtain. And I... I it's one of the most, and I've had some embarrassing moments, but this was one of the most. And, he, and he, So he says, well, I'm just going to pray over you and ask God to give you the gift of tongues. And, and then I don't want you to open your mouth and speak. And of course, this offends some people because they say, well, you shouldn't do that. You should wait for the feeling, which is actually nonsense. But never mind. I'm giving you this illustration because I'm actually showing you how it works. I'm sharing you from my life experience to actually put you at ease 
and also to say, this is how I began to learn to live, to, 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 to ride the counterintuitive way, because it wasn't natural. Nothing in me wanted this, really, because it was awkward. And so I, he, he prayed, and then he prays over me, and tongues, you know, tongues is just actually speaking out whatever flows, and, and, and he says, well, open your mouth and speak, and I go, uh, 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 I, I mean, it was so embarrassing, so forced and so awkward. And he just goes, John, it's cool. God's given it to you. You go and practice it. In fact, his words were, it's like riding a bicycle. Just get on and use it. And I remember walking down the road going, and it just was weird. And so I went, I don't understand. And I remember kneeling at my bed one evening, and I said, okay, Lord, you know, and I started speaking in tongues, but it felt like it was ridiculous. So I spoke for 20 minutes and then disowned it because it was ridiculous. It sounded like baby talk, and I was making it up. Two years later, I was uh, in Swaziland working um, with, uh, with animals, and my grandmother, had, I'd seen her. She, had been about two, she lived with us, and, and she was in a nursing home, and she was like a chicken on a spit. I mean, she, they just kind of chopped her hair, and she was just being rolled, uh, rotated on her bed. And that was the last time I saw her, and I picked up a book that said, you know, one of the values of speaking in tongues is that you can, speak for, you can pray for people when you don't know what their need is, or you can just bring them before God and pray for them. And that made sense to me. And I knelt down and I prayed for my grandmother. Probably was 1973, four, four, 74 or 5. And I prayed that God would take her. And I prayed again in tongues, very self-conscious, even though nobody was there. And it must have been maybe four or five days later. In the day, I still had telegrams in those days. A telegram arrived in my post box and there it was, uh, your grand has died. And I said, thank you. And I, I never, ever um, dismissed tongues again. And when I was going through my darkest time, um, my, over seven years, where I was really, really turned off God in my head and my body, the only thing that I could do was speak in tongues because I couldn't put any polite words into English. I was telling God to get lost, swearing at Him. I was done. And so I knew, I mean, that was real. And I knew that God could take that because He could see the whole of me. But the only expression I could have like help was to speak in tongues from my spirit. So I did that from time to time. And in ministry now, I'm always praying in tongues because I haven't got a clue what to pray for. So two days ago, I'm, I'm sitting at Mike Pearson's bedside and he's dying and he can't speak. And I have no words. I can go, Lord, bless him. And I do. I speak what I can in English. And then for 10 minutes, I just speak to his spirit and speak in tongues. I could go da-da-da-da-da and God would actually honor it. Because you see, all I'm saying is, Jesus, you love Mike. How would you speak if you were here? So I'm offering you my mouth. I'm offering you my hands. I'm offering you my heart. Because I don't know how to pray for him or anyone else. And we are powerless because we're proud. We're powerless because we have theological positions on things that have no life in them. And if you want life, get desperate enough to say, God, I want that. Not only to pray for others, but to pray for me, to give expression, to give room for my spirit to grow. And that's what Paul was doing. He's saying the secret of my life is that I take hold of everything that God releases. If you look in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 12, you see, it's no, do you think it's any accident that the most potent weapon that God has released on his church is the one that gets taken out by theology and denial. Where do you think Satan is? 
Satan is doing Bible studies with Christians telling them it's useless. Why? Because if they put that back in in their armory and they never use it, he doesn't have to deal with it. But I'll tell you, you can pray over people and you pray over people in tongues and spirits come out because they understand the language even if you don't. Tongues is is like English. Let me say it like this. There's no magic in tongues and there's no magic in English. If you speak in tongues and you do not have love, you're like a clanging gong. There can be people who can speak in tongues and they're just clanging gongs because they're using tongues as as a weapon or as an instrument, but there's no love, there's no compassion, there's none of Jesus in it. Every gift can be a curse. Every gift can be misused. Every gift can be powerless or it can be powerful. It all depends how it's imbibed with the Spirit of Jesus. You don't have to wait for the feeling. I can speak in tongues anytime. I can speak in English in any time. God gives me freedom. You don't have to have a feeling. You don't have to go, oh, before. I... Some people do that because they're totally insecure and they think that the manifestation is what it's about. It's not. It's about the power of the language to release. God speaks through words. His kingdom comes from heaven to earth through words. He speaks and there is light. He speaks and there is truth. He speaks in this. The same is true. The issue with tongues is humility. It's about what happens. Can I speak through you even if you don't understand? Yes, Jesus, of course you can. In public, if if I speak through you, you need an interpretation because otherwise you're just boasting and you're just performing. He says there are different kinds of uh, gifts but the same spirit. Now again, you can do a bi- <laughs> you'll do a Bible study on this. There are different kinds of service in the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. And each are, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. God gives gifts through you for others to be blessed. To one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. And we read that, we take the one that most appeals to us and then we say that's what God's given or hasn't given me. And I don't think that passage is saying that at all. He's saying one day I might give you knowledge, one day I might give you wisdom, one day I might give you, uh, I'll give it all to you. For some, they will sort of grow in this particular one or that particular one, but it's available to everyone because my spirit is in everyone. What rises up in us is our absolute rebellion against God that says, I want to be religious, I don't want to be relational. But you will not be powerful without the spirit of God flowing through you. And if the Spirit of God flows into you, it's got to flow out of you. And it's not just through good deeds. That's part of it. It's not just through how we love. That's part of it. It's also through how we speak, but it's also through how we manifest. I was having a discussion with somebody this week about Reiki. And what's wrong with Reiki? Well, Reiki speaks and it relies on feelings, physical feeling and emotional feeling, but it's equivalent in the Old Testament to to the sorcerers. It does not have any root in Jesus. And if Jesus is Lord and the Spirit of Jesus is flowing through us, there is no need for Reiki. Reiki is a very, very poor replacement. You will never find somebody using Reiki who actually worships Jesus with passion. Same as Freemasons. I might as well get totally controversial. But I'm totally, you could kill me for this. I, I mean, I really mean it. You will not find it. Jesus didn't get crucified because they liked his teaching. He got crucified because he didn't take it back. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the spirit that flows in us and flows through us is truth. So there's no room for counterfeit. And so Paul says you have all this armor, but if you don't have a weapon that's effective, you're just running around looking silly. 
You are, Jesus went to the cross and rose again and poured out his spirit so that we would change the world. And he was really saying, what was true for me, I'm releasing is true for you. Now humble yourselves, take hold of it. All I have is yours. Go for it. The reason for house groups is we need grass, uh, uh, greenhouses. We need places where we can practice this stuff. Where we can take... What did you think about what John was talking about? Has anybody had that experience here? And then you talk about it and you've got five minutes to the end and you go, I don't want to get to that part where we say, should we try it? I went on to a long mission and I, and I, I told you the story about um, God releasing somebody in tongues and they did, nothing happened and, and I was terrified of praying for them and God said, just bring people to me and relax. And I went back to my little group that I had at that time and, and we had this talk and then it was, um, oh, Richard Benneke is his name. He's an engineer, lives in Johannesburg. He says, I want, to, I want that. And I went, oh dear. And my friend William, who was a cynical medical student, uh, was sitting next to him and I had to get up and you know, I was actually quite free and excited at that point because I had really got that thing that God said to me which was, don't worry, just bring people to me. So I laid hands on them, people who knew me well. And I said, you know, God's just going to... And I, and I really used the same language that I got from the guy, the hippie shop. You know, you just steal everybody else's ministry to you and you weave it in and you give it to somebody else. And so who would have thought? And, and so there I was and I, I, I laid hands on them, or Richard, and I was scared of William. And, and I was very vulnerable. And I said, I'm going to just... Jesus, I just ask you to release your gift uh, over Richard and, and if there's anything else you want to release, we invite you to. And I said, I'm just going to speak in tongues to cover your voice and if you want to start uh, saying something out, you go ahead. So I laid hands on him and I prayed and before I knew it, William was speaking in tongues. That was the most thrilling moment. The little cynic who didn't understand got wept. It was so encouraging to me. Um, and I continue to declare that to you. Um, we need everything God has for us. And we need to learn how to walk in it, how to uh, enjoy it, how to be thankful for it, how to not need to understand, but just say, I am the, the hands and feet of Jesus. He lives in me. Um, and I want all of the things. If you look at the people, I'm, I'm closing, but in, if you look at the people in the, in, throughout the history, Moses couldn't speak. He was too old. David was too young and insignificant. Elijah was a man of unclean lips. Joseph and Mary were uneducated peasants. No one had heard of. Saul was a religious bigot. Peter was too impetuous. John was angry. Matthew was a tax collector. None of them qualified. None of them qualified. And you know, people think they're humble when they say, no, not me. You're not humble. You're proud. You will not bow the knee to Jesus. That's what it is. So you start saying to people, when you're ready, bow the knee. We have way too accommodating because I know what Jesus looks like. I know what Jesus looks like in somebody. I know what it looks like when his spirit is working. I know what apples look like on a fruit tree. We go, oh, we shouldn't judge. Well, yes, you should. I'm not talking about, you're not judge, judging them by their fruit. You're not judging, you're discerning. And w one of the things that uh, I'm going to close with, because I'm stealing this from the Backlands, because it was just such a cool illustration, you know, where you go, how do you know God's working in you? And you go, well, I, I haven't seen anything yet. And the example was, well, what happens with a tree, an apple tree as it's growing? Because it hasn't got apple trees in it, is it, is it an apple tree? Yes, it's a growing apple tree, but the fruit is still to come. That's true for all of us. When we become Christian, the DNA God has given us is that we have the potential to be able to be used by him in all kinds of ways as his spirit activates and releases us. But the key to the activation and the releasing is what? The key to the activation and releasing is practice. And so the other example, which is a lot of fun, is saying, you know, how many of you have seen babies? And then seeing babies as they grow and they begin to try and walk and they fall down. And, and I just thought it was a beautiful thing that Wendy talked about this week. She said, how many, you know, I, I look at babies trying to walk and I don't understand why they're not depressed because they keep failing. 
They just fall down all the time. Why on earth do they think they can, they, 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 they can walk? And then some people who are very spiritual say, you do not have the gift of walking. And believe me, God has created you to crawl. So I'm a crawler for Jesus. And many of us do that. We, we settle for that. I'm, I, I crawl for Jesus. Why don't you walk? Oh, well, I fell down once. Oh, and me too. And there's an element of God calling us up to stuff and calling us into things and we give up. And he says, why, why does a baby not get depressed? Why does a baby actually carry on crawling, trying and getting up? Because he believes he can do it and he sees his parents doing it. And his parents believe he can do it and will do it one day. So what do they do? They create a house group where that baby can learn and try again and again. Practice the backward bike for eight months until you discover that the babble out of your mouth is power. And you discover that it's very cool not to have all the knowledge and all the words, but I live because the Spirit lives in me and the Spirit lives in you. And the most effective way for Christians to become empowered and to grow and to change the world is to let that Spirit that's been given to us not pond up because God doesn't have ponds. The only pond in biblical history is the Dead Sea because nothing flows from it. He has a river of life. Release what you have. Practice it. Have fun with it. And let God's Spirit begin to have His way among us. We will see amazing things, more than we could imagine. That's the point of the armor. The point of the armor is to create a place from which you can actually fight and take ground. Let's stand. And as we stand, you know, what, what are the areas? Father, just show us one area. Show us an area where we are stuck. And you're not angry. You're just saying, my child, if you want me to change you and your circumstances, I need you to let go of this. I have poured out my spirit on all flesh. My spirit is the key to strength for the weak, to wisdom for those who are not wise, to effectiveness for those who can't see the way ahead. I want you to be carriers of my spirit and to know that when you speak in my spirit, there is power, the language of heaven on earth. And the way you activate it is you just open your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want more of you and more of your spirit. I want to know how to walk in power. If you want the gift of tongues, if tongues is something that you've never received. And some people, they get so uptight on this, they struggle so hard. And I'm just saying relax, but you can ask God, Jesus, will you give me the gift of tongues, the gift of your spirit? And he says, and you can ask him now, and he's already said yes, by the way. Father, I just pray for a release and anointing of your spirit in all the ways that you want to over this body right now. What do you want? Ask, seek, knock is the language of the kingdom. If you were afraid like me, tell him, I'm afraid like John. And he says, well, that's easy. I love you. So God can release and give to you the gift of tongues right now. He can give you every gift he has. Because if his spirit lives in you, you, re- you have everything. But God, I hate this part really, but he works by through process. And so this has come through more and more to me um, through other people. God gives seeds to be grown into the fullness of something. So God gives you the seed of his spirit, whether it's tongues or whether it's healing, whether it's prophecy, whatever it is. And he says, now nurture that seed. Nurture that seed and watch it grow. So God's son became born as a child, a seed born in a woman, a virgin, Mary. And he grew into manhood. He didn't come fully manhood, fully man. And I just want to encourage us, don't look for the fullness of the gift and say, well, God didn't give it to me because it didn't come in its fullness. God's given it to you and it's come in the form of a seed. Receive the seed and nurture it with faith. Get together with other people and practice together and see what happens. Because God partners with us. He doesn't do it for us. He does it in us and through us. So Father, I bless uh, 
the work of your Spirit in each person here right now. Receive the Holy Spirit. And what I mean is not for the first time. I mean, Father, I call up activation that things that are dormant will come to life in the name of Jesus. Things that we've resisted will start finding for some reason we're not so afraid anymore. I speak against fear in the name of Jesus. I speak against lies that cause us to settle for something less. That you haven't called us to crawl, you've called us to walk. And we call up one another a healthy and a, and a holy restlessness for more. We're not blaming other people for where we are. We're saying, Father, make me someone who brings about change. So we bless you for what you've poured out into us. Thank you, Father. Receive, 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 receive. We speak healing into this body. <coughs> Somebody's got a... I think I felt we meant to go after pain this morning. There's also somebody with a left ankle. I think it's the left ankle. Something's wrong with it. And Just speak healing to it in the name of Jesus. If there's pain in your body, put your hand up, please. Pain in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we just speak to that pain. Command it to uh, be gone in the name of Jesus the source of that pain to be gone. Holy Spirit, anoint those people with your presence right now. Come, Holy Spirit. All pain be gone in the name of Jesus. When I'm speaking to you, God might show you that there's something you also need to do. He might bring to mind, and you might think it's not relevant. There might be unforgiveness. There might be something that's getting in the way. Well, you need to forgive. You need to actually respond. I'm not putting these two together, but sometimes they are together. He gives us to look at something that's halting. Father, we bless these bodies with healing in the name of Jesus. All pain be gone. All pain be gone. Muscles, bones, whatever it is. I break curses over people, either over themselves, spoken unwittingly, or over other people. In the name of Jesus, we break curses. That's negative talk spoken over us, saying it'll never change. We break the curses even of the medical profession that speak over us and say, this is what it'll be like for the rest of your life. We break it in the name of Jesus. We bless the medical profession. We don't get here the wrong thing here. What do you want from Jesus this morning? It's open season. You can have anything that brings life. Ask, 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 seek, knock. Come Holy Spirit, bless what you're doing. He pours it out, pours it out. We're going to share in the breaking of bread, which is another way that we can come and receive because God knows that we need tangible signs for things.